Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get late. And again, it's picked off. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Oh, the chicken. Double time. Miles Turner. Yeah. John, I have never been better. To be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, back in studio, thank you so much for joining us. Love seeing everybody out in Plainfield yesterday at the Buffalo Wild Wings location. A Bud Light Bloom Monday was spectacular. We'll be back, I believe, in November. at And I've always thought this, too. One of the better Buffalo Wild Wings locations in central Indiana is that one over off of Main Street in Plainfield. Great time yesterday. Next Monday, we're going to be in Avon with Buffalo Wild Wings. We have a busy week later on this week that I'll explain to you about. And some stuff you can't miss. Uh, from Twin Peaks tomorrow... You got a Larceny Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul Tequila Shots coming up. We got to do that. And then we got to do the Colts pregame huddle. And all of that will materialize from Joe's Grill in Westfield. Another fan favorite right there. Joe's Grill in Westfield. That is coming up on Thursday. And Gigi's. Gigi's back again off of what, 71st and Benford and that general location with a Bud Light Blue Friday coming up on Friday. So we are busy. Of course, the Colts have a Thursday nighter. It's a short week. This has been a walkthrough day. Jonathan Taylor says he wants to play. He's in a boot today. I don't know about that. Shaquille Leonard, broken nose to go along with that friendly fire hit from Zaire Franklin. Zaire Franklin leads the team in tackles. That was yet another one I think he got. Uh, Broken nose and a concussion for Shaquille Leonard from that friendly fire hit this past Sunday and more of the fallout from what was just an awful first half inexplicable first half unless that's how I put it yesterday tough to understand I just said it inexplicable but maybe it is maybe this team is just exactly what we witnessed and I guess through the first four weeks that's the lone conclusion that you draw right I know everybody once you go through this everybody tends to be on the negative side of things I don't blame anybody for being on the negative side of things right now But what other conclusions can you draw? I'll give you a great example. Dan Orlowski of ESPN mentioned that, hey, it's just a couple things here. I don't know if he went to the Frank Reich Academy of Explaining Stuff, (laughs) but just a couple of plays here or there, and they're right back into this. Just a couple of missed assignments here or there, and everything's going to be all right. I I wish – I wish that there were a reason to believe that without actually seeing it, but there's really not. 
Well, I don't care who watches film and how much film they watch and what they've done. All we can go on are the conclusions and how those conclusions bear the ultimate facts. Yeah, they were just a misassignment off on that play. Well, I'm okay. But they're winless within the division right now. And they got sidetracked via a home loss within the division on Sunday. That's not good. I do I do hope. I hope that it is just surface area stuff that you can fix. No pun intended here, Lickety, inside the lounge via YouTube Live that you can fix Lickety. But, again, we don't have a lot of evidence. All we do is have really a landslide of evidence that supports more of our theories than it does anything else. I mean, the worst offense, they're the worst offense right now in the NFL. We'll ask Ben Brown at PFF, they second to worst offense in the NFL right now. Carolina, Carolina is the worst offense in the NFL right now. We'll talk about those numbers with Ben Brown. The numbers from PFF are not at all good in terms of Colts' offensive output. So you can start right there. Not at all good regarding that. And then if you're talking about individual numbers and certainly a fixture to this team in the past handful of years, the PFF numbers are not good at all to Kenny Moore the second. And I mean not good at all. Now, Ben Brown's going to join us in the 4 o'clock hour. You, you may want to cover your ears, I guess, for some of it. See, that's what I tell you. I, I'm not going to say, well, you may want to go away for a minute because I don't want you to go away for a second, much less a minute or five, right? So you may need to cover your ears for some of that. I know what it feels like in day two. I know what it feels like in day number two of a team that, frankly, you look across the NFL, is there a team that has been more massively disappointing than this Colts team? Is there? Anybody? There's not. And not even coming from the standpoint of we're talking about the team that we cover or we're talking about the team that you like, you enjoy, you love. And normally we're a little bit skewed either direction with those takes. But no, they are the most disappointing. So Calvin Fitz sent me a tweet this morning. And it was, I don't know what handle it was on Twitter. Was it NFL handle and said something like, um, Frank and Chris are on the hot seat. And Jim Irsay has has grown, drawn impatient with what he's seeing right now, and blah, blah, blah. And then Calvin asked me, he goes, hey, is this true? Well, honestly, I think anybody that has paid attention could put together something that says something like that. So, I mean, really, if you want to be an NFL insider, go ahead and fire that up. There's no doubt that the owner is impatient. The owner, if there was going to be a game outside of the way that season just embarrassingly ended last year, if there was going to be a game, where you were going to be incredibly impatient with, again, I'm just kind of loosely quoting that tweet earlier today, where you're going to be impatient with what was going on. It's going to be that one. It is going to be that one because 
you hung it out there. The owner hung it out there, and he'd been hanging it out there basically through the entirety of the offseason. This is what we have to do. This is who we have to beat. They've had our number. What's scary about this, and this is how we view it, right? We viewed Houston and Jacksonville to a much lesser degree, and certainly not recently, but in the past, yes. You viewed Tennessee in a similar fashion. The rest of the division has often been what to Colts fans? It has been a punching bag. It's been a punchline. It's been a joke, been a clown show, all the above. You know, the Colts fans, you know, one of the good reasons why you're still believing through what has been a hot mess so far. Because you go along with the idea of God bless the AFC South. Because all these other teams stink and they're still going to give the Colts an opportunity to hang in there. You know what, though? Maybe not so much in Houston with what's going on right now. What do you think they say in Nashville? What have they been saying most recently in Jacksonville? You know, the Colts have become that punchline. The Colts have become that punching bag. There's a promo that's running right here. I think it's from from Jake and Kevin in the morning where a dude comes up here specifically from in and around Nashville as a Titans fan. I can get up there. It's cheap. I can find tickets. I can get there. And then I feel fairly confident. And again, these are my words, not his, but this is the gist of the phone call and the promo that was made. I feel fairly confident that my favorite team is going to get a win. How does that feel? How does that taste? So it would stand to reason that regardless where that tweet started, Who's behind that particular tweet? I saw. I told Calvin actually earlier today. I tweeted back this morning. I was up at four five thirty. Right, I'm up early, and I don't know about anybody else. I, I got to get glasses. It's so there's so many parts I've got to add. I'm going to take some parts out and then add some more parts. I'm going to be like the six million dollar man, except just not that expensive. I'm going to be like the five ninety five man. That's I got to start adding pieces. And some of my pieces right now. Some of my pieces are no longer any good. I got to start adding stuff. Most of my pieces look like the Colts offensive line so far, from my toe to my foot to my eyes. But honestly, any Colts fan could have put that together. I told Calvin, I said, you should have put that together and tweeted it out. Because, again, nothing's imminent when it comes to a coaching change unless you're talking about you know, where the offensive line coach may be and Chris Strasser right now. But as far as Frank Reich or Chris Ballard, Chris Ballard, absolutely not. Frank Reich at the end of the year, yes. Now, we were talking to Bob Kravitz yesterday. Is there anything, because Bob Kravitz and I are on the same page as far as Jim Irsay not doing that with the head coach in the midseason. Is there anything that would convince you that, hey, all of a sudden, as I put it before, they could break new ground? And then go that direction. And we have both agreed on this, and that is that game later on this month when Carson Wentz comes to town. Depending upon where this team might be, 
That's the only thing that I would even loosely consider. Now, for the offensive line coach, it would seem that the situation's a little bit more dire. Probably for the offensive line coach, I, I don't know if he would call it this or not. You know, maybe nothing would have happened. But the fact that this was a short week, the fact that this was a short week was probably good. Now, on the other side, this is where it becomes a little bit Jekyll and Hyde, right? The other side of it is the fact that you have an extended week to get ready for Jacksonville is not good. That's probably worse than having a short week to be able to bridge the gap and maintain that level of employment. And believe me, it's not all on him. It's just like looking back at Blankenship. That was an issue. Everybody said, oh, it's just the kicker. He's going to be fine. Everything's always going to be fine. Everything's always going to be fine until it's not. That's why I get back to that Orlowski tweet from earlier today. Oh, they're just this close, this close from changing this up. And again, everything's going to be fine until it's not. Everything's going to be fine until you get to the end of the season, and here you are. Everybody always reverts to the fact of, hey, this is just what this Colts team does. You know how ridiculous to me that sounds? This is what this Colts team does. I can tell you from past experience, I, I knew what other, in particular, the Polian era and the Dungy, I, I know what they did, and I know what you come to expect, and rightly so. There's no redeeming quality about what took place a year ago. I would rather hear, well, it's the AFC South, even though the Colts right now are the punching bag within that division. I mean, the Colts are right there with Houston. Oh, man, we get a break this week. We get to play the Colts. Oh, man, a break this week. Houston's coming in. But they they have become that. I just can't listen to, well, this is what this Colts team does. This is what they do. They come back and, you know, remember last year? Yeah, because I thought last year monumentally sucked. Well, last year started out bad. I was trying to find, you know, the Buffalo game came to mind, New England certainly. That Christmas night in Arizona was fun to watch. I would ask you to do this when you have a minute, and again, it's when you have a disposable minute or two in your life, to think about once again, think about now, looking back, looking back on the in-season Hard Knocks episodes, and then compare your thought or thoughts at those moments compared to what you know now. It is so different. You look at it out of a completely different lens, don't you? You do. You do. At the time, hey, this is fun. This is great. Now you look back on that and you go, wow, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's not working. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't look nearly the same. Doesn't sound nearly enjoyable. I'm assuming that's available on HBO Max, right? Would you go back and watch them? No. I, I wouldn't either. No way. Yeah, I wouldn't either. It's just different. And it's different also because you see more of the same. 
you see more of the same reasons as to last year becoming a joke as the way that it ended. You see more of the same to start this year. And again, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, that's unacceptable. And again, Calvin, there's a reason why that somebody sent that out there because you're going to get probably, you know, 2,000 likes. You're going to be able to rub one out at home and be really happy with yourself because look at all these likes I just got and all you did was just basically put out there what should be common knowledge anywhere. Yes, the owner should be impatient. The owner should be tired of it. I know the fans are. There was nothing I was more tired of. People said yesterday, I've never really heard you that angry about a team on the field. I don't know. Angry is probably the wrong way to put it. Disappointed wasn't strong enough. Even with what I have seen, even with last year, even with the end of the year. And the tie in Houston, the Jacksonville game, all that so far this year. It was still... Utterly ridiculous to me that they started out a half of football as they did on Sunday. And then it's to me even more ridiculous that everybody kind of says, well, you know, it's okay. It's, you know, they did play better. It's like that's a feather in somebody's cap. They did play better. They did a lot of things better. They buried themselves in a half of football where, my goodness, if you don't know better by now, you're never going to know better. Yeah, people want to point to, well, the coach has obviously lost the locker room. Well, stuff like that, you kind of wonder if he ever had it in the first place. And you wonder if that locker room is ever going to get anything that any coach would say to him. You understand completely the urgency of this game, right? You understand the effect that this is going to have, not just in the moment, but later on this season. You understand that your owner has been outspoken about the importance of this game. Not only in the offseason, but leading up to in the week via social media. You understand this, right? This is something you did comprehend? Great week of practice. Everybody's fired up. Your team leader. Your vocal team leader's coming back. He's going to run out of the tunnel, be fired up. Smoke's going to happen. They're going to fire up that hog and right up there, and somebody's going to hit the anvil. By the way, you should have had the Pacers hit the anvil again. With all due respect to Blue, come on now. Don't blank with a streak, for goodness sake. I told you to get Halliburton back over there and get McConnell and everybody back. Just Anyway. Uh, This team certainly played much worse than just blanking with a streak. But all that you knew, all those fired-up words, and, hey, we're just that close because these are fixable things. These are fixable issues. And that incredibly dreadful first half against a team that wasn't very good, isn't very good, hasn't been very good, you know what they are? They're hellaciously tougher. And they are led by a hellaciously tougher coach. And clearly their locker room gets the importance of that, whereas this Colts locker room evidently didn't get it until the half, I guess. 
I know. You can lean on the second half. Wow, you know, scoreless, and here they're coming back, and now they're making some plays, and they find the tight ends, and everybody's feeling good. But you conveniently forget about how you put yourself in that situation in the first place, and that's what can't happen. And that's what's happened over and over and over again. And for the most part, that's why this product remains the same. And entirely unacceptable. Uh, we can hit that if you like at 239-1070. Email the address is jmv at radio-one.com. You can send me that too. But those those are all things like it's kind of different. When I'm on the road on a Monday, I, I have these thoughts in my head, but it's more of the, hey, this went wrong and that went wrong. It's more of that kind of play reaction. But when you have a little bit more time to soak it up, and really search for the value or lack thereof and what took place on Sunday, it does become a little bit more clear to you. Maybe it shouldn't, but it does. You know, it's different, too, when you're out with with you guys, and I love being out with you guys, but, you know, I'm making eye contact inside the lounge via YouTube Live. They were shooting videos for Buffalo Wild Wings nationally yesterday doing that. So I was trying to give them, at the same time, I give you the content that you guys want three until six every every day, Monday through Friday, and you have for, uh, hell, I don't know, 18 years. Um, at the same time, I'm trying to give other folks what they want as well. It's just different when you sit down in here and you're able to sit and really think about the magnitude of that game on Sunday, even a little bit more. You know, on, on Sunday nights, you get a pretty much snap reaction with me and Hagan. I only get four and a half minutes, which is cool, but, you know, this is long-form stuff right here. And it's just not like I come in here and yank something out of my rear end. For example, I'm not taking calls three and a half minutes in. I could. It'd be easy. Hey, you know what? The Colts stink. Blah, blah, blah. Here's your number. Call. But I got a lot of stuff I want to say. I got a lot of stuff that's on my mind, and it's interesting two days later what strikes you even more than just what you saw on Sunday. So Tuesdays have always been really interesting to me. Hopefully they are to you as well and something strikes a chord. Uh, even a tweet. Even a tweet from, you know, your random NFL follower that really any Colts fan, just by listening, just by watching, could have put that thing together. Again, nothing imminent, but at the same time, all stuff that would make a great deal of sense. Yeah, the whole hot seat thing. People ask about that all the time. And it is as I explained it to you. All right, we got that at 239-1070. You guys jump on board. Hey, shout out to Matthew. Matthew in Maine sent lobster. So I will rock lobster coming up later on tonight. Should I make it a bisque? A mac and cheese? Little lobster ravioli? What what am I doing with the lobster? But Matthew is a fantastic listener. Not just to this show, but he listens to the morning show as well. He listens to this station. He's inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Would you loungers? Would you tell Matthew, thank you very much for the lobster? That was outstanding, buddy. Thank you very much. Cannot thank you enough.
Um, I shot free throws for Teacher's Treasures a little bit earlier today. I went to Hinkle. I'm going to tell you this. There is nothing more awesome. And if I could do this on the reg, I would do this on the reg. Then going to Hinkle, I dropped Blake off at Ron Colley somewhere around 8 a.m. or so. I hustled up to Hinkle, Bruce Kidd, who put this entire thing together. And shout out to Bruce and Ron and Mike. A couple of rebounders. We shot free throws. I ended up shooting 125. Uh, the thing that I found out, Kyle, is I got there, and my left foot is as such right now. It's an absolute mangled mess from having a cracked fifth metatarsal to a smashed big toe from a concrete block it was messed up so i couldn't go could not push off the left so i had to entirely push off the right and uh drained 47 of my first 50 and yeah if you guys need a shooting coach sometime let me know i'm here rhythm and muscle memory will take you there it will get you there if you want to be a great buy, especially nowadays, you don't even need a rebounder, but get a rebounder like we had. I didn't have a rebounder back in the day. We had one of these uh, nets that you put it at an angle, and it, it was like a trampoline kind of thing. And when you'd shoot, and the ball would come down, right, and hopefully you hit it, and then it would bounce and then shoot it back to you. Now you've got the gun. The gun is awesome. Rhythm and muscle memory from all spots on the floor. Well, it was a good time. We raised a lot of money for our friends at Teacher's Treasures, Margaret and the gang, earlier today. I, again, can't thank Bruce Kidd enough for putting this together. Thank you, Butler Basketball, for letting us in Hinkle. I stayed a little bit longer and shot around in there, even on one foot. But it was spectacular. It just feels good to get in, especially in the morning. On a day like today, sunny, bright blue sky. Get in there, take some shots, even on a bum left foot. Good times. Bruce, thank you very much. I even uh, went over and had a cup of coffee at Cafe Patichu, Kyle. 49th and Penn. Anybody ever been there? It's not like a Denny's, brother. <laughs> so, wait a minute. Where are we going? To Waffle House? Denny's? Where are we going? Cafe Patichu. Is that the one that's down here? Don't they have one of the Simon building down here, too? Is that Cafe Patichu? Uh, I don't think so. Is it not? I know they have one up on the north side. That's I thought there was Rakestraw one in that favorite. Simon. Well, that's the one, because I think that's the Rakestraw, the neighborhood of Rakestraw right there. 49th and Penn, there's a Sullivan Hardware and Garden. Diagonally across the street, across Pennsylvania, from Cafe Patichu. Okay. I was at Cafe Patichu. I thought, hey, let's go, let's go to Waffle House. <laughs> like 10 cup. No, but thanks, Bruce Kidd. It was an outstanding time today for a great cause. And thanks for everybody that got involved because Margaret and Teacher's Treasures absolutely love that. Appreciate that more than you know. Craig Rakestraw, speaking of which, going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Ben Brown, as I mentioned, the PFF data scientist in the 4 o'clock hour. Pacers head coach Rick Carlisle is going to be here coming up in the 5 o'clock hour today. The Pacers open up the preseason against Charlotte coming up tomorrow night. We'll talk to Rick Carlisle about the Pacers, this uh, youth movement of sorts, and what he's going to be dealing with, his level of excitement to start this season. Rick Carlisle of the Pacers, their head coach, coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Inside the Lounge via YouTube Live, the stream, 
is working, I think. The app is still iffy. I'm going to tell you this. If the app is going to foobar, here's what I want you to do. I think you can go to the iHeartRadio site, find our station, 107.5, 93.5thefan. Click on that. That'll bring you home. Or you can go on YouTube and be a part of not only listening to the show, watching the show, but you can be an active participant, too. It's inside the lounge via YouTube Live, The Ride with JMV. I got a lot more for you on this Tuesday edition. Sit tight. We're back with you. And Greg Rakestraw is going to join us next. The Ride with JMV. I fart in your general direction. Your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberry. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Oh, yeah. Pacers coach Rick Carlisle in the 5 o'clock hour. Ben Brown, the PFF data scientist, where his numbers, I'm certain, will prove to be uh, very negative in terms of the Colts offense we have seen through four weeks, and uh, especially when you're talking about individuals not kind whatsoever to Kenny Moore the second. Ben is going to blind us with science coming up here in the 4 o'clock hour. Meantime, Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Post-game show host, more. He does everything around here. And I was in his stomping grounds today, earlier this morning. Cafe Patichu at 49th and Penn. Greg Rakestraw joins us. Is that your home away from home? The hell? You didn't give me an invite? What, what's going on, dude? Well, I didn't know. Well, we're on live radio. Uh, no, no, no. I know. I didn't really know I was going there. So I did a uh, free throw shooting contest with Bruce right. Kidd put together for Teacher's Treasures at Hinkle. And I got there around, I don't know, 8.50 uh, or so, 9 a.m., and we shot. And uh, he and his friend Ron said, hey, let's uh, go over to Cafe Patichu. And, of course, I'm thinking, all right, so where's the nearest Waffle House? Because I'm a hillbilly. And uh, they said, no, we're going to Cafe Patichu here. And so I went over to 49th and Penn and went in there. And uh, it was an outstanding breakfast experience. I didn't eat breakfast. I had a chocolate milk and a coffee. (laughs) (laughs) But it was outstanding nonetheless. Well, next time go there and you know order food. Well, I did. I I took it home. I just couldn't eat in front of people. So yeah, I got a little carry out. But I tell you, Ron Bruce's friend had something. It was like a Cuban breakfast, right? Right, Uh, Yeah, Yeah. that looked awesome right there. The the Cubano there is fantastic. No, no doubt. So there's the omelet you can't refuse. There's the hippie with the bends. There's all. I mean, there's all kind of good stuff. And if you want the slum it like Waffle House, frankly, the waffle there is really good too. So I thought, yeah, I thought about you too as I was, uh, I was there, downing my chocolate milk, right? But well, by the that- way, and it wasn't just normal chocolate milk. They gave us normal milk, and then they mixed that thing up with a little chocolate syrup. That was the real deal. Well, that's usually reserved for six-year-olds, but I figured that they, they thought they would welcome <laughs> you into the neighborhood by doing this along those lines. Now, now yeah. have you been made aware? of the monumental occurrence that's going to happen on Thursday night for the pregame show? Um, I'm going to be at Joe's Grill. Anything are, other yeah, than that? that? Yes. That, that That's important. Okay. But are, are you unaware of the fact that Gorman can't be there on Thursday? No. So Gorman will not be on the show with you on Thursday. Uh, I take it you've not been made aware that Joe Wrights can't be with you on the show. On well, I didn't. Know, I didn't know that because I think Joe had told yeah. me that he's actually going out to Denver, and I believe Gorman's going to be in Denver too, right? 
That is correct. Okay. But, but, but because of the short week, the transit, he is going, he's going to be, you know, flying out day of. Uh, okay. Um, so have you been made aware you and Billy Brooks could easily handle two hours of pregame coverage, right? But the powers that be have decided to add a third voice to the pregame show Thursday at five 30 from Drove's Grill in Westfield. Are you there? That would be me. Nice. So, nice. So, so I'm not sure that you and I have like ever officially <laughs> worked together. together before. I think you're right. So, Looking forward to it. I think, like. I think way uh, back in the day, you did a high school game at Center Grove. This is way, way back uh, on 950. And I think I went out there and did a high school game at Center Grove with you. Way oh, back. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, true. Did, did, did we really? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's way back, too. So wow. I think that's wow. before, that was before 04. That's before I moved down by Center Grove. So yeah, that's it's been that long ago. So I, I guess now I can just full scale get hammered and you can just take over and I can sit back and relax. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I I could I could host as you do your voice and you could be the heck from the crowd. Yeah. We all have a good time. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, me and you and Bill Brooks. Joe's Grill, by the way, is a large city bourbon locks and Luna Azul tequila shots Thursday. So me, Brent Halverson, and I'm sure Natalie and Miller will do our picks, but at five thirty it will be the Colts pregame huddle. Former Colts wide receiver Bill Brooks, myself, and as we just all learned, Greg Rakestraw is going to be a part of that opener with us from Joe's Grill in Westfield coming up on Thursday. So that is awesome, Greg. Now, speaking of Thursday, do you think by what you heard and saw today that we'll see Jonathan Taylor suited up and performing on Thursday? I will consider it a pleasant surprise if he plays. Me too. Uh, And again, I understand you're going to try to take every preventative rest measure uh, before Thursday. And so the fact that during the media portion of practice that, that those that could attend today were able to attend and he's sitting on a golf cart, I tend to go, yeah, that doesn't look good. Um, knowing it's a short week, I think it doesn't look good. And, again, um, I, I, I think that while you're always better with Jonathan Taylor than you are without him, I think in a one-game short-term scenario, having an offense that nobody has seen before because you are so 28-reliant, I would love to see this team go quick tempo, go four or five wide. That can be tight ends. That's fine. And just try to do things a bit differently because you're going to put something on the field that, that the Broncos have not seen before. I think that could be advantageous in the short term. So um, if he plays, wonderful. But I would probably lean towards we don't see him on Thursday. We're not going to see some big uh, Philip Lindsay revenge type of game. Oh, I hadn't even gotten that far, John. Uh, just that was course that. that was coursing through my dome as you were talking. Oh, that would be tremendous. That'd make for great storylines to the postgame show, would it not? Yep. Hey, by the way, the Colts signed Chase McLaughlin to the fifty-three man roster to the practice squad. They waived Desmond Patman, according to Ian Rappaport. So I, Desmond Patman's probably somebody that somebody will give a look at, right? Yeah, because he looks the part, and yeah. that's, that's not a backhanded compliment. I mean, he, you know. He and Strawn, you know, were, were guys that, again, looked the part. But at the same time, you know, now we now that we are four weeks in, um, you know, you just see that there, that Strawn has carved out a place even sporadically on offense, but Patman's not been able to make the field. So my assumption is there's a limited amount of time or a limited amount of chance, times you can pull somebody up off the practice squad before you put them on the active roster. McLaughlin had done that for each of the last three weeks. 
I'm not sure he could do that anymore. So with that, got to sign the active roster, and somebody had to go. And uh, Patman was pretty much a non-factor in terms of getting snaps other than week two in Jacksonville when there was no Michael Pittman Jr., nor an Alec Pierce. If somebody doesn't claim Patman, but I'm sure the Colts would re-sign him to the practice squad. So Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Are we entering a domain of injuries right now where all of a sudden keeping um, a third quarterback active yep. is going to become a situation? We're not there yet because, again, you have got you have seven guys that you don't dress for a given game. And so if, if you just kind of spell it out, Julian Blackman, Tyquan Lewis, Darius Leonard, Maybe you don't dress Jonathan Taylor. I'm at four. Am I forgetting anybody else? Um, and, and so I, I, they're not there yet, but you're at least getting in that territory where that's on your radar, John. So Greg Gregster on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I had mentioned that the disappointment to me was the way that they came out and played a half of football. Yeah. And it, it, it brings up two things to me. Um, either what the coach is saying – is not getting to them, and I guess what the owner is saying is not getting to them, or they're just incapable of getting it. Either way seems to be bad. What do you come up with as far as, I know it's a normal cult slow start, but with all that led up to that game, and to give everybody just an absolute half of dreadful football is ridiculous. So what do you come up with as far as your thoughts on as to why we saw that Sunday? I don't have a good answer. Um, but but it is the same general feeling. The first half relates to the first two weeks of the season. That when you spend an entire off season in training camp talking about, hey, we're going to do things differently because we acknowledge you have to get off to a better start. You know, you acknowledge, hey, you're, you're tired of, of 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 fighting uphill in terms of your overall record. Well, the same holds true in a, in a smaller form or fashion in terms of the first half, uh, where. You know, you, you finally have a positive result. You finally have a good feeling after week three of the season. Okay, this is our chance to take the division by the scruff of the neck, and you just hand it away. Um, and much like the Chiefs, the Titans continue to give the Colts opportunities to stay in the game, to potentially win the game, despite spotting the opponent a 21-point lead, and despite being negative two and then eventually negative three in terms of the giveaway-takeaway ratio. So, no, I mean, I, I, I wish I had a good answer for you as to why that continues to happen. I know this, if it continues to happen, then then changes start to happen yeah. uh, at multiple fronts for this football team. All right, Greg, you, you see this too. The most common answer given from big-time Colts fans is, A, they're in the AFC South, so they're always in it, or it's the gift that keeps sure. on giving. But what makes us think that that can happen given the results we have seen against those AFC South teams thus far? And I don't know why people reminisce so brightly, and it's a feel-good last year, because I don't care what they did in the middle. The start and the right. finish sucked last year, so I don't look at that fondly as I guess everybody else might. I think I think you can say a couple of different things. In other words, you can state a fact, hey, the culture a half came out of first place. That is a fact. But it's just like, you know, when asked, hey, what's your confidence level in them winning in Denver on Thursday or winning the next game, ever it may be, the answer is, is no. So I can state the fact that, yes, they're a half game back, which is why, um, you know, it's, it's not time to go into meltdown crisis mode just yet. But at the same time, if you ask me my confidence level as to what we're going to see from the football team on Thursday, 
there's nothing to base confidence on. No. In other words, both of those things, John, can be true. Well, and that's that's how I look at it because you, you, there just is nothing in the fact that it all starts. And, you know, as you mentioned, there's there's no meltdown yet because we're so early in the season, full meltdown. But believe me, it's it started with that offensive line because everybody keeps saying, well, they're close and it's only a play here or there. But I'm sorry, this thing has looked discombobulated for a while and it looks more discombobulated at the start of this year. I, I don't know if it's just some cosmetic stuff that you can do to fix what is really ailing this line, Greg. You were you were just kind of getting onto the local sports scene in 2001, the last year of Jim Mora yeah. being the head coach of the Colts. But I remember being at press conferences, and it was along the lines of something of, well, other than that 60-yard run and that 70-yard run, our run defense didn't play that badly. <laughs> yeah. Well, true statement, right. but yet you're still one of the worst defenses in the league, and you still give up 60- and 70-yard runs. And so, you know, you could almost compare that to the offensive line. Is it a true statement that the Colts' pass blocking was better on Sunday? Yeah, I kind of think it was. They still give up three sacks? Yep. One of those sacks lead to a turnover in the short field that the Titans scored upon? Yep, that's the case. And did it lead to the worst rushing performance for Jonathan Taylor dating back to his rookie year um, when he wasn't always the primary ball carrier? Yes, it did. Um, and again, I'll relate it to it, you, you have to be what your contract says you are. And if you are the highest paid position group in the national foot, you know, uh, on your team, you had best be leading the charge, and that is clearly not the case for the Indianapolis Colts right now. And even if even if you think the culprit is the guy that is, isn't paid the big money, is the guy you're hoping is the stopgap at left tackle, even if he is the guy that has been causing the problem, well, frankly, the other three or four guys got to figure it out, or the scheme has to change to help him to figure that out, and those things have not been happening. Greg Rakestraw, post-game show host, and now vaulted into pre-game show host yeah. this Thursday. The short week has the Colts in Denver on Thursday. We're going to be at Joe's Grill in Westfield. Love to see everybody there, and the Colts pre-game huddle will start after me, coming up at 5.30 on late Thursday afternoon. Me, Bill Brooks, and Greg Rakestraw, part of that Colts pre-game huddle, and Greg's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Before we hit a break, your thoughts on what you saw from the Boilermakers getting a big road win in the West over Minnesota Saturday, and then on the other side, IU just kind of, well, being IU football again. Right. Let's start with the positive. Um, love what I saw from Purdue. Uh, us being Southern Indiana guys, we always cheer for other Southern Indiana yep. guys. Boonville I'm shout so out. For, for, for the Devin Mockaby story, and again, Devin put up ridiculous numbers um, at Boonville, did it against average competition, you know, mostly 2A, 3A competition. Um, I believe he was going to Navy, changed his mind or was there and left. Um, and then, you know, is, is a if he's not, not, not done being a walk-on yet, he's about to be. Somebody's going to find a scholarship for that kid at Purdue. Uh, but I am so happy for him and so happy for Purdue. Um just because I, I want to see them do well. And amazingly, they're now in a six-way tie for first in the Big Ten West. And in theory, they have gotten past already one of the best team in, in the Big Ten West. And so it's crazy to think who might be the team opposite Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game here the first Saturday in December. Now, would I think that a Purdue would have a chance to beat Ohio State? Not even close. 
but it would still be an amazing accomplishment if Purdue could play in the Big Ten championship game at Lucas Oil Stadium. So that is a now a legitimate conversation for virtually every Big Ten West team to have. Even Nebraska, as god-awful as they have been, they're in the conversation uh, because of their luck of geography. So happy for Purdue. Now I want to see him go back it up in terms of Maryland this weekend. Now, about Indiana, same old Indiana, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I mean you know, it, it used to be same old Colts. Lord help our Colts. Well, it's been that way for Indiana for a long time with a few flashes of brilliance, such as the shortened 2020 campaign, um, almost as a teasing fact to Indiana football fans that the one year that they were really good, you couldn't go watch games in person. Um, and so I, I hope for the best for Tom Allen always, but I don't exactly have my hopes up after watching things unfold the way they did in Nebraska on Saturday night. I, mean, I bet we'll be able to talk about this the next time you're on Tuesday, but it looks like a, a lot of rumors floating around about IU hoops and Kentucky hoops getting back together. So we shall see what we would, shall would, see here relatively I soon. I'd love for that to be the case. And again, if it means even IU says, all right, fine, I can come to Bloomington, we'll play neutral site games then, you know, let, let's end the 10-year pissing match. Let's find someplace neutral to play, and let's go play the game. You got yeah. it, buddy. I'll see you coming up on Thursday at Joe's Grill in Westfield. We'll have a blast. I like to think of myself as a closer, uh, but, uh, but in this week, I guess I'll be the opener, and I'm fine with that. You too. will. I'm going to drink heavily, so you may have to take over about halfway through this bad boy. So be you, ready. You, then I'll, I'll close that show, too. No problem. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Ben Brown, PFF data scientist, top of the hour. Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Pacers. He's in the five. Your call's on the other side at 239-1070. Don't go anywhere. The Ride with JMV. Just an average guy with exceptional hair. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Is that mine? Yeah. That's only in the left ear here. Hold on a second. We can't have this major malfunction with our guy here. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Hold on. Is this me? Oh, there it is. It's cord. I'm still hardwired. Did you get that? I'm still hardwired. Stop it. I'll be careful. I don't want Todd running down here grilling me. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live, hopefully everything is working. Great to see Airport Jimmy yesterday dropping off the gear and everything. Dropping off the gear and having a beer at Buffalo Wild Wings. Thank you so much, man. Good to see Jimmy. I love seeing the listeners, especially those inside the lounge coming out too. Awesome. Love it. All right, Colts make a move today. Chase McLaughlin to the 53 men for good. Wide receiver Desmond Patman waved. If he clears waivers, I'm certain he'll be back. We'll see if he does. Seems like we're getting closer and closer to that time where they're going to have to make some sort of decision, right? Injury-wise on Ellinger. Something worth following. Jonathan Taylor in a boot today. He wants to play, hopes to play on Thursday. I think most people around here are a little bit doubtful in this short week he's going to be able to. Might we get the Philip Lindsay revenge experience? Maybe? No? Can you call it a revenge experience if he was 
he never really even played a regular season game, right? In Denver? Yeah. There's a leading rush, oh, a thousand yard right. rusher there a couple oh, of times. He, yeah, that's right. He's on practice squad. Yeah. Still, right? Yeah. I'm just, I'm guessing. All I right. Told, I totally blanked on that. Yeah, you're right. That's all good. I should not ask you questions that you're not ready for because that's obviously how I want you to treat me, Kyle, sitting over there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. He blinds us with science every single Tuesday right here in the 4 o'clock hour. Ben Brown of PFF is with us. All right, I want to go ahead and I want to make sure everybody is ready and prepared for some of these ugly numbers, these analytics I'm sure that you have regarding the Colts. Is that true? Are there bright spots or is it mostly negative? I mean, I was told to try and keep it as positive as I possibly could. I uh, feel like I do try and do that every single week because nobody wants, you know, a negative, uh, you know, a, a constantly yeah. negative person. I do think that, you know, in any any given situation, there are going to be some bright spots, right? I think you can look at, you know, Matt Ryan specifically, best PFF passing grade that he's had so far this season, right? So maybe that's uh, at least the offense somewhat be moving in the right direction, at least from a passing standpoint. Now, we saw Alec Pierce get a little bit involved, had that one yeah. play downfield. Matt Ryan uh, underthrew him pretty significantly, uh, but he still made some plays, right? So I think there are, you know, some some silver linings in what was otherwise, uh, you know, a, a really disappointing uh, overall team performance, I would say. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Ben Brown of PFF joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. You'd mentioned the contortion that Alec Pierce had to do to to get after that Matt Ryan throw. And while Matt Ryan put up good numbers, and certainly according to the PFF grade, I'm sure grades out great, he looked like that for most of the day. I, I think that really does hide, and I know a great deal has to do with the absolute bottom line ineffectiveness of this offensive line. But honestly, being there and eyeballing it, even with those completions and that yardage, Matt Ryan doesn't look good. Right. And, and I think it goes back to, you know, kind of the thing you mentioned is, is it's partially the offensive line, but uh, neither unit is in sync, right? And, and Matt Ryan under pressure at this stage in his career is a really, really, really bad outcome uh, for this particular offense. And they, they can't generate they can't generate successful plays, play in and play out uh, if they're getting some of this interior pressure. And I think that is, you know, a, a really concerning fact. Obviously, the turnover situation as well uh, is a huge detriment to this team. They're just not a team built to play, you know, from behind. So when they do get the early turnover and go down seven and then 14 points right away, uh, it, it's really tough for them to come back. And they've seen uh, – and that's, this isn't the main reason why they are in the, the position that they were, but they did experience some – high variance type turnover luck last year where defensively uh and i know we talked about this a little bit but they had the highest amount of total expected points from turnovers coming uh you know on the defense side of the football of any team in the nfl and they use that to their advantage right and and this year it's completely flipped i think they're 27 uh in that particular stat even more concerning is you know offensively they've given up the most total expected points uh, of any offense in the nfl on those turnover type situations so they've had bad turnovers they've had a lot of them and they've had them in really high leverage spots and i think in order you know to kind of be a successful team those are the easy things that you absolutely need to cut out first hey, regardless of if the ball was 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 turned over um how does matt ryan rank right now in terms of fumbles against everybody else individually and team wise in the nfl have you looked up that number 
I am I am not, but I can definitely look it up while we're talking and give you a, a pretty easy uh, okay. figure on it here in a little bit. But I do think you know, uh, we, and we can revisit that in a little bit. But yeah, it's you know, it, from a team perspective, it's been just it's so Dr- dreadful. I mean, just dreadful. Yeah. yeah. Right. Just just right. dreadful. All right, while you're looking that up, because I know you probably memorized this, how bad are the numbers for the offensive line through the first four weeks of the season here in Indy? Yeah, we have them basically um, through four weeks, basically. And this does bake in, you know, a little bit of prior expectation. But we have them, you know, as the 22nd, 22nd ranked uh, pass blocking unit. Uh, a little bit higher in the run blocking grade. I do think some of that is to do, you know, isn't really playing out uh, in, in other areas when you're looking at things like Jonathan Taylor's, um, you know, run stuff rate, how often he's getting tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage. He's like fourth overall uh, from a running perspective in that category in the NFL. I think team-wise, uh, really poor performance from an EPA perspective on rushing the football as well. So some of our, you know, run blocking grades, uh, definitely don't seem to paint the whole story of just how bad it's been, you know, offensively for the for the Colts rushing the football. Well, they've um, they've been awful, and and here's part of the issue, Ben, that we've talked about over and over. If if they don't work, really nothing's going to work. Nothing offensively right. is certainly going to work. You got a 37 year old quarterback that's unable to escape. Uh, you've got a running back that a year ago was by far the best that's having numbers-wise not a good season so far uh, because there's not a crease, there's not any space whatsoever. And you combine that with 14 points, just a little bit over that per game, and this offense just looks dreadful. Right. It, it, it very much does. I mean, and there's, you know, the issues are you know, stacking up in a number of different areas. I do think there's multiple, you know, multiple units that are responsible for it, but it goes back. And I don't want to, you know, harp on, uh, you know, you know, guys like Chris Ballard or something and their team building roster philosophy. But when you kind of bring in a veteran quarterback, you have to make cuts at other positions. And when you kind of allocate some of your resources and dollars to positions that maybe aren't necessarily premium type positions that, aren't impacting the game, playing and play out uh, as impactful as other positions are, it's really hard to build a winning cohesive type of offensive unit. I think that's kind of, you know, the overall uh, determining issue with the Indianapolis Colts right now. Tennessee, I would guess, um, even though they traded away a huge asset in A.J. Brown um, last um, spring, mind you, um, the Colts and the Titans are kind of, built in in similar fashion i would guess it it to me this has been my argument and i know that you agree with me on this but i want you to go a little bit further on it it, it appears that what chris ballard has put together to this point has failed considering what he is looking for and the results that he's yep. getting and i know that there's still right. a ways to go but where we are right now would you consider my words those words accurate in that description I very much think so, right? And I think that, uh, you know, that that is the greatest issue with the Indianapolis Colts right now, and part of it is the, the Band-Aid approach or whatever, or, uh, the roster-building Band-Aid type approach where you're trying to fill in, you know, this plug-and-play type quarterback, veteran guy, year in and year out, and there's just no cohesion. Uh, there's no real carryover into the next year with that offensive coordinator uh, and that quarterback kind of being a seamless transition and actually – you know, helping out some of these young wide receivers. They're always starting from, you know, home plate basically uh, and, and don't really have the advantage of multi-years of 
continuity, and I think that you're seeing that play out. Uh, and it's taken, you know, the Band-Aid approach at quarterback instead of just, you know, trying to go a different route or trying to find at least the guy through the draft who at least could be an option as a backup quarterback because they don't even really have that right now either, right? So uh, I definitely agree with you, and I do think that, you know, in evaluating the Indianapolis Colts, that's definitely where you absolutely have to start with. So Ben Brown of PFF every Tuesday right here on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Through four weeks, what's this Colts offense overall look like, Ben? It's, it's really bad, unfortunately. Like We like to look at, you know, from a, uh, the EPA perspective, which we talked yeah. about a little last week, they're like 29th uh, overall in that. Again, some of that is to do with the um, with the turnover-type situations that they're constantly putting themselves into, but uh, a lot of that is just ineffectiveness, right? Uh, they're not rushing the football well. They're at bottom five uh, rushing unit right now in the NFL, and I think that says a lot given that that is supposed to be the strength of the team. Yeah. The best player on offense is bottom five. Taylor. All right. Hasn't gotten, go, got, hasn't gotten open, you know, or hasn't gotten going whatsoever. And, and, and it's a concern, right? And I think, you know, if you want to compare it to the Tennessee Titans, you, they still are getting that production from a guy like uh, Derrick Henry, which is, you know, kind of the main reason why these two teams are so different right now. I also think Ryan Tannehill is playing uh, a lot better at the quarterback position than what Matt Ryan's been able, been able to provide the Indianapolis Colts. And I think, you know, those two things speak to uh, the, the current state of both these offenses. And I think, you know, the, defensively as well, uh, it, it looks very much like, you know, the Colts are overmatched at a lot of points uh, throughout that last game as well. Did I give you enough time to look up that fumbling stat from Matt Ryan? Well, I have, I have, yeah, I got, I had to pull it on my data feed, but there are basically Matt Ryan has been on the field for 10 fumbles situations, whether they've lost them or not, which is tied for uh, the, the league lead in that category uh, with the New York Jets. So I can pull up first play basis <laughs> and get the actual possibility for who that was in line to. But, yeah, the Colts and the Jets. Sorry, not, I shouldn't laugh not, at that, but, yeah. Wanna, not the grouping that you want to be in uh, yeah. at this point in time. And I do think I got to correct myself a little bit, too. Looking at the EPA, uh, the Colts have the second worst offense overall from an EPA perspective through four weeks of the NFL season, the only team worse than them uh, is the Carolina Panthers. So it's basically the Panthers are the worst team than the Colts, Washington Commanders, and the Houston Texans. So that's definitely not the uh, not the grouping that you want to fit yourself into the first four weeks of the season as far as you know an offensive efficiency standpoint. So through four weeks of play, the Colts quarterback um, it ranks as the highest fumbler in the league with the New York Jets. So he ranks with a team. So he, and I don't know, and I have to, I would have to pull our play-by-play data individually into my programming language and run, run the, run the coding behind it a little bit to get the specifics on if he was actually, if we assigned responsibility for those fumbles or not, I am thinking of a number of them, uh, you know, where it it might not have necessarily been fully his fault. So I can look at that as well. Um, But yeah, he has basically been on the field, uh, for 10 fumbles that have resulted and gone on the ground. And that's, yeah, the same the same outcome basically as the New York Jets, right? What's the criteria for it being his fault? Just having his hands on it and then not in this case? We do, yeah, we, <laughs> I mean, we do assign it, but there are obviously some like exchange type situations, which can be a little bit of a gray area. Typically those would be, um, those would typically lean in the, in the quarterback's direction for that. But uh, we do that. And that is kind of part of the, uh, the, the charting process that PFF employs, we do, you know, have 
a system in place where uh, previous plays kind of provide the example for how we would actually grade that and who we would, you know, assign grade, who, we, who, who would we assign uh, blame to in that particular play. I will tell you this. It's not like I think Matt Ryan deserves any benefit of the doubt at this point for any of those. You know what I mean? It's like, all right, right. so right. It, it's probably at this point his fault, right? Right, right. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is that, you know, we talked about this last year as well, and this is maybe, you know, an indictment on where Frank Reich is as well. But, like, last year, the Colts were the best team from an EPA perspective on, on scripted offensive plays. They would get out to early leads, and they could ride Jonathan Taylor, they could run block, and they could win football games. And now they're basically, uh, like, the third worst unit in the NFL on those scripted plays in 2022, and, that's, and they're behind the eight ball. They can't play catch-up because, you know, the receivers aren't really – separating downfield for Matt Ryan and he doesn't have a ton of time in the pocket and he's not alleviating or handling pressure whatsoever. So it's, you know, an assortment of errors stacked on top of each other. Uh, But, but, but unfortunately, like if it, if it doesn't turn around quickly uh, you know, there's gotta be some sort of, you know, reset, I would say overall for the Indianapolis Colts. Oh man. Ben Brown of PFFs on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline with these sobering details through four weeks analytics wise of the season for the Colts. All right, let's get to something that may even be worse. We'll get to the overall defense and, and especially what's taking place up front defensively in a second. But I think we both, Kyle and I, saw Kenny Moore the second and his numbers in coverage through four weeks of the season. Was it as bad as we talked about a little bit earlier? It's been um, kind of dicey to start, I would say, for Kenny Moore. I mean, he's been really poor from a coverage perspective. We have him basically uh, 146 coverage snaps. He has uh, a 33.6 overall grade, which I think is like, uh, what it's like, it's like 75th out of 80th out of cornerbacks that have played at least a hundred snaps this year, uh, allowed, you know, 15 receptions, yeah. uh, a pretty high completion percentage. He did have an okay game, uh, in week four against the Tennessee Titans, by uh, I guess Colts, the Jaguars game and the Titans game, he graded okay, definitely below average, but better than where he was at, uh, in the Chiefs game and the Texas game. Texans game specifically, but he was really only targeted two times against uh, the Titans, allowed one catch basically for seven yards. But um, you know, it's been uh, outside of that performance, it's been it's been really poor to start the season from Kenny Moore's coverage grade perspective. What about this defense starting up front with a defensive line, Ben? Yeah, I mean, it's been I would say you know from 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 their pass rush perspective, they haven't necessarily been. Uh, they haven't been great, but they haven't been bad. We have them 20th overall from a pass rush grade perspective, 21st, uh, 21st in coverage. So definitely bottom half of the NFL, but they're not like, they're not in the worst territory, I would say right now. And they've, you know, shown some bright spots at certain points. TP pay, you know, got another kind of cleanup sack because of DeForest Buckner on Sunday. Uh, but, but, but both those units kind of struggling and them really only being good in a from a run defense perspective is concerning for them overall. I think we have them uh, basically league average in EPA allowed per per offensive play. So I think they're 15th overall in that metric, uh, which is fine. It's okay, but it's, it, if you don't have the offense to kind of build up your defense, you're still not going to win many games with just the 15th best defense in the NFL. Mm. And uh, up front, 
Why? That's again up front's the one we look at because they're the third highest paid group in the NFL on the season. Kind of look at them like we do the offensive line, I guess, right? Right, right. So we so we can chart, you know, basically from like a pressure perspective, um, you know, how well they've done. They're thirteenth overall in total pressures generated, uh, which again, it's 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 middle of the pack, right? I mean, it's 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 one of these things where um, they've they haven't necessarily had to blitz. Uh, a ton in order to kind of generate some of those pressures, which is definitely a, a, a good thing. I think they basically blitzed at like the third third lowest rate in the NFL through four games. Right. But uh, I, I, I think that's, you know, a reason or an, an, an indictment on their coverage unit because uh, they don't really feel comfortable blitzing because if they do, uh, you know, the coverage unit could get picked apart pretty easily. So it, it's at least been somewhat uh, maybe successful is not necessarily the correct term, but it's at least been adequate from, you know, the front four play. But given, like you said, the dollars committed to those four, uh, you, you kind of need them to be a top five, top six type unit from a pass rush perspective in order to kind of help and build up the rest of the unit's defense. Hey, ben, do you guys have an overall team performance rating for all NFL teams? Team. We do. Um, we definitely do. Yeah, we have. Uh, we we break it up by total team, and then we also yeah. have some like specific offensive and defensive metrics. There's a little bit of um, you know prior data from pre- previous years kind of baked into it, so we at least have a decent base point headed into the 2022 season. That's that's like discounted significantly as we move toward into the new season, but it's still, you know, after week four, uh, it, it is a little bit, um, it is a little bit, uh, cal- it is included in the calculation a little bit. We have the Colts basically 19th best uh, team in the NFL right now from an offensive standpoint, 18th best uh, and defensively we have them 23rd overall. Mm. Wow. There you so go. Middle of the pack. I mean, that, but that's, and you look at it a little bit and, you start to question, you know, with the, the, the roster building decisions and those yeah. sorts of things. I'm not saying it's, it's, it wasn't to be expected, but it's like, these are, these are the strategies and moves that Chris Ballard put into place to kind of try and cover up a number of things and be, you know, somewhat a league average team. And, and even though they've been slightly worse than that so far, uh, they've probably had a little bit of poor luck, but What's the upside expectation in that case? Could they ever even get to being, you know, a top 10 type team with the current roster and how it's being currently constructed? Ben, I mentioned this yesterday. This team right now seems built for mediocrity at best. Mm -hmm. And that is something I'm very familiar with as a Vikings fan. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, you don't want to be negative week in and week out. And you want to be able to find some silver linings, kind of like what we talked about at the beginning of the call. But at some point, you also want to see you also want to see and get excited about the future and what can possibly happen and getting the guys in place where it's like okay maybe we're not good right now yeah. but at least we're not trying to finish as the 15th best team in the NFL at least we're down here at, at you know 29th 30th 31st and we're going to have our pick of you know the top quarterback coming up in the NFL draft uh, and, and that can kind of be the guy that we build around and i think you know even though fans maybe don't necessarily want to see that happen uh, I think when it actually does, it can still be an exciting thing overall for a team to finally flush out uh, the situation that's just not going to get them to where they actually need to be uh, and kind of rebuild from there, I would say. Hey, one more thing. Could you go back to the offensive line individually really quick before I cut you loose here? Yeah, definitely. Can, definitely. You, can you grade 
give me the grades position by position from from prior to okay. to Nelson to Kelly. Um, and I, I know that Penner was out this week and Will Fries was in there. Don't worry about that one right now at right guard, but also the right tackle play on the year with Braden Smith too. Yep. So we can definitely look at it. So basically we have <clears> – <throat> Yeah, I'll start with Braden Smith, basically 67.5. That's an overall offensive grade, so that does kind of, um, you know, take into account both run blocking and pass blocking. 67.5 is just a little bit below average, I would say, at the right tackle position. It, it is essentially average. Uh, Will Fries, 38.7 overall grade, well below average. I think he's got to be, you know, one of the lowest right guards. Uh, given, well, and he given, just he got his first start, and he got his first start and his first playing time as a starter this past weekend. So that's that's yeah. a one game viewpoint right. against and Tennessee. So it is a very small sample, very small sample size. So then we have Ryan Kelly, basically sixty two point two, you know, overall offensive grade, a little bit below average at the center position. Basically, it's not you know, it would once again be you know pretty close to league average. I think if you compared him to starting centers uh, at the NFL level, he'd probably be in that fifteen, sixteen, seventeen range. Uh, and then Quentin Nelson, 68.1, um, right? Again, you know, th- and that's the guy that you need uh, to be an absolute mauler in both the run game and, you know, pass protect really well given what they're Yes. Hey, hey, hey Ben, do you, how, many, how many left guards rank ahead of Quentin Nelson through four weeks of the season? Do you have that in front of you? So do you, I can pull that up. Do you want to see it pass blocking? Run blocking or just specific to uh, oh whatever you feel is necessary whatever whatever makes us feel really good but I'm just joking because it's not (laughs) (laughs) just no 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 the no the entire just give us the entire story because it 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 hadn't yeah it hadn't it it, it hasn't seemed very good and the numbers you initially gave out here it seems like that that's going to bear this thing out but I was just curious yeah so we I I do have this basically limited to guys who have played 100 plus snaps. I do have both guard positions in it right now. Uh he's at 68 points uh what did I say 68.1 overall offensive grade. That would rank 18th uh among both guard positions. So actually not 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 horribly bad. Um we are a little <laughs> He gets he gets paid 20 million he gets paid 20 million dollars yeah, a year. Definitely the top yeah, the top the top rated guys. So we basically have, you know, Chris Lindstrom has played really well for the Atlanta Falcons, ninety one point three offensive grade, and then the next closest is Wyatt Teller uh, for the Browns, who is, you know, also one of these top top paid type guard players, eighty two point three. So I, I think that would be much closer to the expectation that what you'd want for Quentin Nelson, but uh, just hasn't provided that so far. Wow. So, what would, his rank among all guards, not just left guards, is what again? Is 18th overall. So, basically, a guy like Tevin Jenkins, who, you know, rookie last year for the Chicago Bears, didn't play whatsoever, was kind of, uh, you know, somewhat maligned this offseason as far as if he was going to be a trade candidate for the Chicago Bears, actually is the guy right in front of him with a 68.5 overall offensive grade. So, uh, maybe that provides a little bit of context as far as, you know, you know what, what, what he is delivering uh, based on that salary expectation. All right, what about Matt Ryan or Matt Ryan? What about Matthew Pryor at left tackle? Okay, so you want me to do tackles? We'll go to tackles. Here. Yeah, I'm so I'm sorry to put this because we we've, we've, no, we've got it. We've got it because all, all I well here's I, I kind of want to put numbers to what I've been talking about because all we do is watch and eyeball this and hey, it's bad, it's bad, it's horrible, it's bad, and that's exactly the way the numbers are equating to what we've been talking about. So. 
Yeah, so Matt Pryor, 62.1 overall offensive grade. Uh, that would be 46 among tackles, both left tackle and right tackle positions. Uh, so a, a, def, a little bit lower. Um, and then we do have, you know, just based on our grading system and stuff, it does seem like the tackle position is maybe elevated a little bit more uh, as far as like the top end guy is grading pretty well, being more responsible for certain facets of play and those sorts of things. So he's 40. What did I say here? Now I lost him, of course. Uh, he's 46 overall amongst starting or, or, or tackles basically that have played over 100 snaps so far this season. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> not wow. Good. Those are some bad and, numbers, Andrew man. Thomas, yeah, Andrew Thomas, top-rated tackle so far this year, 92.1 offensive grade. Uh, you know, rookie – or not not rookie, sorry, but basically, you know, that first-round right. draft pick, Rashawn Slater, Chargers, 84.0. He's now out for the year. Yeah, he's injured. Uh, but another one of these guys, you know, you know, top high-end – high-end first-round draft pick, and then Tristan Wirfs as well, 79.8. So those are the three, you know, leaders in that offensive grade uh, at the tackle position so far this year. And, oh, you know, it, it, it's a lot of young guys, and it's it's Trent Williams and Laramie Tunsil and, you know, those sorts of types. So uh, it's it's it, it, it's tough to compete with that, but that is kind of, you know, what what the Colts are paying a guy like Quentin Nelson. He's just not not close to actually dominating the position like he should based on what he's actually receiving through that salary. Yeah, that's the uh, left guard, $20 million a year, and that's the offensive line, the highest-paid offensive line of the NFL through four weeks. Those numbers tell the story. Ben, appreciate that, man. More than you know, we'll move forward with it here and see what happens in a short week in Denver coming up on uh, Thursday night and double back with you coming up next Tuesday, man. I appreciate you as always. How can people find you? Yep, so you can find me on uh, Twitter, PFF underscore Ben Brown. I also, you know, write a lot of content and do, uh, you know, a few podcasts and other things on the PFF network as well. So, you know, hit me up in uh, my direct messages. Always always willing to chat some ball or anything. I love putting out stats that people want to see it. So, there's anything that people are interested, definitely uh, find me on Twitter. Ben, I appreciate it, man. We'll talk at you next Tuesday. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. Ben Brown, the data scientist for Pro Football Focus with us and some bad numbers. Did I hear those numbers accurately? Those are terrible. Yeah, there's not. I mean, everybody was below average to average including you know Braden Smith I think is top three paid right tackle in the NFL Ryan Kelly is top five paid center in the NFL and obviously Nelson's number one paid left guard that's incredible in the NFL and I'm sure that's all Chris Strasser's fault (laughs) good lord Uh, that's not how it's supposed to be right there that's dreadful sorry for this group this overpaid, ridiculous group that's dreadful. Is this something where you could just say, hey, if you have any pride whatsoever, or is this just it? This is what they got. This is the juice that they're going to be able to get. This is it. Well, so- something had to have happened because all three of those guys just just don't become terrible to average overnight. Something's going on. It doesn't make any sense. You don't get Quentin Nelson, who is should be one of the best in the NFL, has played as an all-pro all four years of his career to start. He just doesn't turn average overnight. Something's going on. That's just awful. Yeah. 
You you really needed to be half in the bag to even hear that. That's how bad that was. For the highest paid group in the NFL, I mean, come on. For the building block, those foundational building blocks I talked about yesterday with this Chris Ballard blueprint, come on. Quick break and we'll come back. Some phone calls playing off of that. Pacer head coach Rick Carlisle, top of the hour. Inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Get in there and chat. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Look at all those ding-dongs. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I've been Brown to PFF. Uh, podcast, you can just go back if you want and get inside the lounge via YouTube Live. Greg Greg's draw a little bit earlier. Greg's going to be a part of the post-game show, as always. Also a part of the pre-game show, because we're going to split the shows coming up on Thursday. Joe's Grill in Westfield, our Larceny Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots. Uh, me, Brett Halverson, Nally Miller, I'm sure, will be a part of that up there. And then we bail from this show at 5.30. We'll stay there. Bill Brooks will join me. Greg Rakestraw will join me for the Colts pregame huddle. That will lead you to countdown to kickoff. That's Joe's Grill coming up on Thursday. Twin Peaks tomorrow in Castleton. And then further down the road, GG's on Friday for a Bud Light Blue Friday. And if you're looking even further ahead, Avon Buffalo Wild Wings. That is on Monday with Buffalo Wild Wings and a Bud Light Blue Monday for you over in Avon. Yeah, true story. Uh, Robbie writes this, all we really need to know is that Matt Ryan is not good. Regardless of how good the defense plays, the Colts cannot win if they do not score more points than the other team. The 31st-ranked offense is not winning. True story. And, and, I mean, you heard Ben, too. He talked about the numbers that Ryan put up on Sunday. But if you watch, the numbers just don't tell the entirety of the story. This team's in a bad spot right now. Uh, Tony's up first today at 239-1070. Hello, Tony. Hey, man. A uh, few quick things, please. First, I'm over Ballard's blueprint, blueprint and the line. Like, some of that money on the offensive line, if we had a couple more wide receivers, they don't have to hold the ball as long and protect as long because he has somebody to throw to. Um, on that note, with the whole Vegas thing, I love Vegas, man. Yeah. But with the way the team is right now, I'm not going to Sorry, I'm on speaker on the highway. There's a siren coming. Heads up. But uh, you guys should totally do a Teacher's Treasures fundraiser and do like $10 raffle tickets, a minimum number of tickets sold, and raffle off a trip uh, on that trip to Vegas, man. I think you guys would sell a crap load. For te- I'm a teacher. I'll buy two of them right away. Yeah, I did some stuff for Teacher's Treasure today, too, at Hinkle Fieldhouse, man. Had a blast. Cool. But, yeah, that, I, would, I think you guys would sell a crap load of raffle tickets for that. We and can then, pre- hey, we can present that to Kyle Kinnett because he's a good dude and he loves what we do for Teachers Treasures. So no doubt. Hey, All right, brother. Thing for you, man. If you need more locations over by where I teach, dude, have you ever been to Brozini's Pizzeria? Uh, Broz- uh Brozini's all uh, in County Line, not in Greenwood. It used to be a County Line. That, that's closed right now for renovations. There, you know where that Sarah whatever go kart place was at the restaurant in Speedway. Sure. Yes. It's not hers anymore. Brozini's bought that. They have, like, bowling. They have a ducks in bowling. They have, like, a virtual golfing, man. you got to have a remote there. Well, and I have. I've done remotes at Dawson's before. I've done one at O'Reilly's before. Yeah, Brozini. I'd go over there in a second. I love being on Main Street and Speedway. Well, I would, too, man. Hook it up, and I'll be there. Yeah, Tony. Thank you very much for the call. Yeah, I mentioned today, Teacher's Treasures. I shot free throws. I had 47 of my first 50. 
And um, I think I ended up, what did I say? Uh, what did I say? One Was it 113 of 125 or something like that? Somewhere in that neighborhood. I struggled a little bit more on the uh, the back here. I shot 125. My first 50 were absolutely. And I was doing it in a completely whacked out way because I couldn't push off of my left foot. So it was all on the right. It was weird. Did you tell everybody it was only nine-foot rims, though? <laughs> yeah. I love shooting in Hinkle, though. I do. Always have and always will. But no, nah, that um, right now they're at. I may have to look again. Maybe fifty eight hundred raised out of that. And Bruce Kidd put that together, and I got to thank Bruce for it. Yeah, outstanding work. Yeah, I know. Joseph writes this. Thank God Ben Brown is off the show. I almost intentionally drove into oncoming traffic listening to those numbers for the highest paid old line in the league. Yeah, it wasn't a pretty picture at all. Oh, yeah, and I did tweet out, well, that's awful. And then everybody wants to know. I didn't mean to for that to be cryptic. Like Nick says, vague tweets are the best. I just, I guess I considered you guys were listening when I sent that out. My bad. This guy says, what, the show or Brady's divorce? The show or Brady's divorce? How about this? How about your face? I'm just joking. Jonathan is next. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? I'm going. How are you? Great, buddy. Well, of course, your knee's bothering you. If it was healthier than Ryman's, I would hope that you'd contribute to the team. My buddy, it's a a foot. It is a foot that's got an issue and a toe that I dropped a brick on yesterday, too, to add add to it. So, yeah, I'm limping around. I'm 52. I'm just. I'm a mess. I'm a 52 year old mess right now, Jonathan. True story. Oh well, it, well it happens. I mean, you make it sound like a larger number than it is, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, man. <laughs> uh, but the Allison Chains uh, cult song of the week has obviously got me wrong. Uh, something's got to turn out right, but I'm, I'm just hoping they have that attitude towards the game, you know, because I think that the up tempo thing could really work. Um, do you like this idea of Ryman? Nelson, Pinter, Smith, and Pryor. Because I was thinking of all the guys that we're seeing, the one who looks like he's hit the wall career-wise to me is Kelly at center. Yeah, I, he he does. He probably does stick out to me more than anybody else does as well right now. And, and you know, we, we we are gauging them. We're gauging them on on what they make, and especially the higher dollar guys make. But I would agree with you on that. Yeah, so, well, yeah. sorry, I didn't mention I was going left to right on that song. No, 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 I, no, no. You make no. I, I, I got what you were talking about there. That it, it does make sense. I tell you what, it makes more sense than you know going from you know clearly what wasn't working with Danny Pinter benching him, and then as you heard with Will Fries, I don't think Ben knew that Will Fries was kind of new to the starting lineup at right guard, but he was what thirty eight percent or something was was his rank mm-hmm. last week. That's dreadful. So that, that position has been an, an incredible detriment so far. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think I remember a little bit of praise for Penner and the way he played center in a pinch last year. And I'm like, well, if he's succeeding at that and not even getting any practice, you yeah. know, maybe that's the way to just go with him. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know personally why Ursay was so mad at the end of last year and did not fire Chris and Frank. It seemed like a self-contradiction. Oh, oh, he trusts these guys. And I'm like, why? If winning is all that matters, why do you, quote, unquote, trust them? And as far as Strasser, I know he does his job. He was on hard knocks on top of the team for how, how they were holding at Arizona. But you can't fire players, so he, he'd be the fall guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's the good and the bad for him. I mean, it's the good for him because it's a short week, but it's going to be really bad for him next week because it's going to be a long week after that Thursday nighter. So if if it's there's the, not the thing, yeah, significant we, improvement, we that's problematic. Everything got worse. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I, I said if 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 there's not some improvement that you see on Thursday night, that's longer week's going to be incredibly problematic for him. Right. I mean, it's I think fifty percent attitude and fifty percent do some shuffling and it might physically work, you know, and, and you can start to build momentum from there, but up tempo gives a, a team confidence. I mean, I was at the game on Sunday and I saw a lot of nerves that you don't see on TV pre-snap. It's like stop overthinking and over communicating and, and, you know, just use, use your strengths based on your momentum and you'll see better results sort of pile up yeah. in the first half for the love of God. Jonathan, thank you for the call. You call any time. How about the fumble numbers for Ryan? So I know in some places they give him nine. I think that's what Ben was talking about, whether or not he was responsible for ten. Um, I've given him ten in this case, and that ranks the highest to the first four weeks of the season. He's tied with the Jets. That's bad. That's dreadful. Is Taylor the only other player on the Colts offense that has a fumble this year? I can't think of another, right? I don't think so. So it's been all Matt Ryan. So if they're saying there has been 10 by yeah. the Colts total, it's nine for Matt Ryan. Well, the, the amazing stat is, I mean, he's tied with a team, Yeah, right? That's yeah. the amazing stat. He alone would be tied with the team. Can't blame that all on the offensive line, can you? No, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Because listen, even the numbers you saw from him on Sunday, did you come away going, "Oh yeah, that's it"? No. No. There's a lot of missing stuff down the field, and you got to keep in mind too. On Sunday, a lot of his guys, whether it was Alec Pierce and a couple. Or, you know, Kylan Granson on a couple, Mo Alley. They made good catches for him. I mean, they went and got it. Ashton Doolin got one that was thrown behind him over the middle. Nah, he has been a significant piece of the issue along with the offensive line. Uh, top of the hour, Rick Carlisle, Pacers head coach, is going to join us. We'll talk about tomorrow night, their opener in the preseason, and this team, this young team that he is the coach of this season, year number two in that reboot for him. We'll talk to Rick Carlisle coming up at the top of the hour on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Collect them, trade them, or just enjoy them. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Greg Rakestraw, earlier, you could check it out with the lounge via YouTube Live once we put that thing into gear, a podcast, 107.5thefan.com. Ben Brown of PFF with some sobering numbers for all of you to enjoy. 
uh, regarding uh, the the ranks and the analytics of this Colts team through the first four weeks of the season. It has not been at all enjoyable. Really, it kind of goes exactly how you thought this thing was going to be going. BT writes this, Kenny Moore went from the pay me to glad I'm getting paid 75 out of 80. Struggle. It has been a struggle without question. John Watson says, is Chris Ballard insane, given the often used definition of insanity, expecting things to end differently? This line needs major work, but an insane person doesn't change? Um, I, I wouldn't use that. I would suggest very stubborn, incredibly high-level stubborn. I mean, listen, I would never want to admit that, you know, it's it's tough to admit at that level, certainly. I'm sure that you're wrong and then turn around and do something differently. But as I mentioned yesterday, you tell me if you believe this thing is working. And the effect of this is far more reaching than just the first four weeks of the season or the last two weeks of a year ago or the start of a year ago or any of that stuff. I mean, this this has implications that, that move forward because of how you have paid, how you have structured this, how you don't have a younger solution moving forward at quarterback. A lot of issues here. Joe to the Sea inside the lounge via YouTube Live writes, what's a great beach drink? Joe to the Sea, here's what I want you to do. Grab yourself, you know, you don't necessarily need a Yeti cooler or a Yeti thermos or whatever, but it always works well for me with that. And uh, pour some Larceny bourbon in there and then mix it with some ginger ale and then thank me later. Thank me later. That is the perfect beach drink. And it's easy. It is easy. And what else it will do, Joe? It will get you there, but it will get you there in a slower-than-usual fashion. So you'll be able to enjoy the scenery on the way to getting there, if you know what I mean. You'll be able to stop and enjoy it while you're getting there. That's what you do. Larceny Bourbon and Ginger Ale, Joe to the Sea, inside the lounge. Listen, if you have any other advice... Any other advice inside the lounge? Any other advice via Twitter? Whatever. I've got you. I've got it for you. JMV, ever since the attention he got on hard knocks, talking about Kenny Moore II, his play has taken a nosedive. It has been a struggle, to say the least. Twin Peaks coming up tomorrow. Colts pregame show for me. The Colts pregame huddle is going to be at Joe's Grill in Westfield. That's coming up on Thursday. So keep in mind that it's kind of a split show for me. We'll do our Larceny Bourbon Locks, Luna Azul tequila shots from Joe's Grill in Westfield. And then 530 because the Colts have that Thursday nighter in Denver coming up on Thursday. It will be the Colts pregame huddle with me leading up to countdown to kickoff. And then that game time in Denver coming up on Thursday. Busy week for us. Meantime, on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, he is the head coach of the Indiana Pacers. They embark on the season. The preseason first is tomorrow night on the road in Charlotte. Rick Carlisle is kind enough to join us here in the 5 o'clock hour. Hello, Rick. How are you? What's up? How are we feeling 
about this youth, this team, and this movement that you're upon right now, the, 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 the embarking of this ship that begins tomorrow night in preseason play. How do you feel? I like it. I like the group. Um, you know, I think every coach in the league right now is saying they've loved the first seven days of training camp, but uh, this has really been a special group, very competitive, um, you know, extremely coachable, you know, guys that uh, have a lot of upside. And so, you know, our fans are going to get a dose of a, of a much different looking team. And I think it's just going to be a fun thing to grow along with this team. Rick Carlisle's with us. Do you have anything professionally as a coach that you can compare going through this, this sort of youth movement with this team right now, compare it to something that you have gone through in the past? Anything at all? You know, we, we went through a, a rebuild in Dallas for three years, you know, where we were in the lottery and, you know, we, it was a little bit different looking one because the, the guys that we acquired were guys like Dorian Spinney Smith who was an undrafted rookie. And then we got Maxi Kleber, um, you know, from Europe on a, on a, on a, on a, initially a minimum deal. And now he's become a $9 million player. And then we've drafted Luca, you know, and, um, in the process, guys like Dwight Powell, you know, developed. Uh, we drafted Jalen Brunson, and, you know, everybody knows what happened there. Yeah. He really, really developed. And so, yes, I have been through it. Um, and rebuilding is a, you know, it, it's, a, it's a tough word. You know, it's, it's a word associated with pain and not a lot of fun because, you know, with young players, it's going to be harder to win. But, yeah, I think we have a top 10 point guard in this league in Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, we've surrounded him with a lot of shooting. Um, TJ McConnell has been tremendous in training camp. He's probably been the best player, our best overall player in training camp. And, uh, you know, Nemhart is, is another pass first point guard that can score and make plays. So, I, you know, our, our playmaking at the point guard position and the depth that we've added with our wings, with Matherin, with Aaron Neesmith, who's had a really good camp. Chris Duarte has been been really, really good over the fir- over the first seven or eight days. And uh, and Buddy Heald's, you know, he'll go down as one of the greatest three point shooters in the history of the game. And uh, you know, up front, Miles, Isaiah, and uh, and Goga, and we've got uh, Daniel Tice, and these guys uh, these guys are all damn good players. So Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I, I love this because I didn't say rebuild. <laughs> I did, and you said rebuild. And I'm curious, did it take you a minute to get on board with this, or was this kind of an instantaneous thing when the choice was to go with this team in this particular direction? Well, John, here's something. You know, I, I had this question a lot when we began a rebuild in Dallas. Yeah. You know, you know, are you really up for this? And and my answer at the time was, you know, over my career as a head coach, it's really been defined by the ability to adjust year to year. I mean, after we won the championship in 2011, um, you know, we didn't re-sign Tyson Chandler. We didn't re-sign J.J. Barea. And we started a string of about five years where, you know, we were – we had six or seven new guys each year. And so I just – I really – kind of leaned into the whole idea of, you know, where is my resourcefulness as a coach? How do I get whoever I have, you know, given to me better? How do we win as many games as we can? And, you know, we had a pretty good run of playoff appearances. And then um, it just got to a point where it was time to, to bite the bullet and, uh, and rebuild. And, and then, you know, 
now Dallas is pretty well positioned. You know, they lost Brunson, but they've still got Doncic, who is, if he's not the best player in the game, he's right on the cusp. So, um, but for me, this situation was, was less about, you know, who the players were going to be. Um, it's, it's more about, <laughs> you know, just relationships. I and mean, this is the third time I've been back to Indiana. My, my, my other two stops in Indiana have been extremely important in my overall career as a head coach. You know, my relationship with Larry Bird is, is, uh, is precious to me, and he and I still stay in touch. In fact, JMV, i got to ask you this question. I was, yeah. at, I was down, in, um, down in Nashville, Indiana at his ranch on Saturday night, and we're <laughs> cooking up some steaks, and he's got a radio station on, and you're like, you're like the, the disc jockey. You, know, you were, you were the, listening the to, you guys were listening to the JMV takeover on Saturday night down there? Yeah, the takeover. What is that? Um, well, it's something <laughs> I'm glad you and asked. How many, and how many people have lost their mind? <laughs> um, well, yeah, exactly. That's that's where it starts. So during the pandemic, um, I, I got a little bit bored, and I started coming in on the station right next door in our building here and doing an all-request show. And it's something you really don't have in music radio any longer because, you know, everybody, there's a you can basically get what you want. At a, at a moment's notice with the push of a button. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to have people call in like it's old school, and they're going to request, for example, somebody that you know very well, Bruce Hornsby in the range. They'll request okay. that, and I will I will play that. And then I'll put their request over it, and, you know, it's kind of like this when you take callers. You'll take their calls and put it over the songs they request, and it just kind of grew into something um really really fun and i just continue to do it and people like it and uh that's uh the jmv takeover every saturday night on b105.7 there you go well, well it sounded like fun but i'll finish my answer so okay. you know the 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 pacers organization the pacers family and the organization is still i mean just second to none when you talk about the quality of people there and starting with mr simon who's become a very close trusted friend you know along with kevin and chad and kelly and ted and so anyway my job now is to help get this team back to where it needs to be and that's not just you know sniffing the playoffs or being in the playoffs and and being a tough out i mean we have to take on the 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 persona of of a group that has a dream to be a championship group and that's what I'm preaching to our guys. Um, the gym is extremely competitive every day. We're talking about championship habits. Um, <laughs> you know, you look at the Vegas odds for our number of wins, and it looks pretty dismal. But uh, we're going to have a lot of unexpected good good wins, and we're going to have some stretches where it's tough this year. But we're going to be consistent with these guys. I mean, I've got a super talented coaching staff, you know, starting with Lloyd Pierce, Ron Norred, Mike Weiner, and Jenny Busick, and – you know, we've got the perfect team of coaches to develop this group over the next three or four years, and um, we're going to get this thing right. So, Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Pacers, do you get kind of uh, a, a bit more juiced with enthusiasm working with a, a younger team with the type of expectations that you just described? Does that give you a little extra something? Maybe you know, coaching starting a, a season with a veteran team, maybe that wouldn't. Yeah, this has been a rejuvenating thing to be in the gym with these guys and it's, it's, you know this has been all summer I mean, started with the vegas summer league um we had guys showing up right after labor day we had four or five of our young guys in during the second two weeks of august which is unheard of and 
our vets have been terrific too. You know, Miles has been great. Buddy's been Buddy's been great. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it's just been it's been a lot of fun. And so we're looking forward to it. And look, I, I just I love being around talented people. You know, and we have a lot of young, talented players, and I've got a very talented coaching staff, and I, and I think our front office is as talented as any. You know, look at the way they turned the team over in the last eight months. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable, if you ask me. So uh, the job now is to develop these guys, um, you know, help them become a brotherhood as a, as a group of players and for us to become a true team um, and to get this thing as good as we can and, and, and then keep building it from there and then onward and then onward. So Rick Carlisle's with us. What's your expectation for Miles Turner? I have been a, a huge supporter around here of 33 for a number of years. And, you know, he, he's back again right now. And we'll see where this goes because you really don't know where ultimately it's going to go this season. But as of right now, he's on this team. So what's your expectation, him playing with this group of younger players as the big and in, in what he's going to be or should be able to do with this offense um, and really being without a, a big significantly uh, by his side for the first time in a while. What do you expect? Well, I, I expect it's going to be an entirely different situation. Um, I'm a big supporter of his as well. Um, I saw the one game he played five from start to finish last year. It was a game against Houston in December, and he, you know, he threw up huge, huge numbers, 30-some points, a bunch of rebounds. Etc. But it's it's not going to be about the stats. It's just going to be about the opportunity, and it's opportunity to play a position full time, and it's opportunity to be one of the leaders on a group of younger guys. I mean, him, McConnell, Heald, you know, Halliburton is in his third year, but he's still very young. I mean, you know, Miles is he's cut out to be a you know to be a leader in this type of situation, and and he's embracing it, and so. You know, look, we got a dynamic business. Nobody's gonna, nobody knows what's gonna happen in terms of this, that, or the other transactions, trades, whatever. But I'll tell you what, he's had a hell of a week, and right now he leads our team uh, during our live action scrimmaging. He leads our team in field goal percentage. You know, and and he's gotten, he's done the majority, the vast majority of his damage around the basket. So that's what we're looking for from him is for him to be more of a force around the basket with, with hard rolls, being in position to rebound. Um, etc. But uh, hey, watch and see. Tyrese Halliburton, uh, I've heard you talk about him before, um, and and what you feel he is as a player now, and your expectations. I'm kind of curious your vision of him compared to right now, his growth this season, and then further down the road. What is your your vision of your guard? I think he's a top ten point guard in this league, and he's a rare modern point guard that is a pass first point guard he's a pace make he's a peace creator he's a movement maker um he loves to run he loves to get off the ball and get back on it you know he has a he has an old school um feel and view of the game and he's just super pure you know when it comes to playing the game the right way so you know we're very fortunate um we gave up a lot to get him but it was it was worth it, and you know he knows the responsibility that's on his shoulders. You know he's uh, he's he's talked to Reggie Miller a little bit. I had those guys talk on the phone briefly one or two times, um, 
and there are comparisons to him and and Reggie, um, you know, a little bit because of the similarity of their body styles yeah. and their personalities and stuff like that. Uh, but it's a completely different position. But you know, being the being the front man of you know a small market team looking to do big things is not only a huge responsibility, but it's an amazing opportunity. And so two weeks after the season, he was back in Indiana working with Sean Wendell in the weight room. He's put on 15 to 18 pounds of strength. And, you know, that's going to help his durability. It's going to help his ability to attack the rim. Um, and it's going to help his ability to, to battle within our defensive system. So, you know, he's not only talking the talk, he's walking it. He's been doing the work. And um, we're all looking forward to beating up on somebody else tomorrow night after, you know, <laughs> seven, yeah. seven, seven out of the last days beating the crap out of ourselves. So Rick Carlisle with us. They open up on the road in Charlotte coming up tomorrow for the preseason. Now, you're going to play this uh, basically like normal, correct? Did I hear you say that yesterday? Well, we're going to be aggressive with this. You know, I, this is not a, you know, play 12 minutes and you're done type of thing. I mean, I really, what I've learned over the years, John, is that, you know, when you ease into a season, you're asking for trouble and we cannot afford to ease into the season with the group that we have. And I don't think any team really can. I mean, there are a few, you know, I mean, Golden, Golden State can, you know, maybe Brooklyn can, maybe some of these teams with really elite talent and elite experience can, um, you know, Milwaukee, you know, maybe, but uh, not the Pacers, you know, um, the vision for me of our team is just, you know, waves of energetic guys that, that are just going to keep coming at you and uh, that are going to be sitting down in garden and are going to be attacking and getting out and running and attacking the rim offensively. And, you know, tomorrow night we'll see what it looks like. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in this game. You know, we, we, we could get our ass kicked, but, you know, we're going to show up and I think we're going to have fun playing these guys. You know, what's interesting to me, Rick, is you have a group when I look at this roster, and I, I think this is cool because there's it, it is a completely different competitive level to get to where all these guys, to where you are in the NBA. There's no question about that. But when you look at guys down this roster, whether it's Tyrese or you know, maybe Isaiah, you know, Andrew Nimhard, the rookie, Benedict Matherin, the rookie as well, Jalen Smith, they're all guys that not only have that competitive vibe, but they also have that chip on their shoulder that they seemingly wear like a, a badge of honor that continuously you know, has them strive to not be satisfied to where they are. That's kind of what I see, at least with that group that I just mentioned. Do you see that as well? I do. Um, and I think all this stuff, playing angry, chip on your shoulder, mm -hmm. all that other stuff is is – great stuff for, for a team like the one that we have. And, you know, um, again, you look at, at the Vegas predictions, you know, for wins. Yeah. I mean, that's, if you can't get motivated by that, I mean, I don't, you know, you don't, you don't belong in this league. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the challenge with this group. Um, great guys, great staff, you know, and uh, just want to encourage everyone to, to watch and, you know, whenever you can get out, get out to uh, GameBridge and and support us and and grow along with us. What's your expectation for Benedict Matherin as a rookie? I you know, I think he is a great pick at number six. I mean, if if he was a finished product, um, 
he would have been the first or second pick in the draft, John. So, you know, our job is to to to, to coach him up and and get him playing at, at higher and higher levels. But he's done a he's done a much better job than I expected of um, getting used to the, the the pace and the flow game, which which involves a lot of feel. And so um, I see a lot of improvement there. But you know, again, we got to start playing games and start playing against other teams and 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 see where we are with all these guys. But I think he's definitely a, a starting player in this league, whether or not he will be on day one, you know, we'll see about that. But uh, I know this every day he comes in with that chip on his shoulder that you're talking about. Yeah. And he comes in with a, with a winning competitive attitude. And he's, he has come by my office two or three or maybe even four times and said, coach, you know, um, coach me hard. I can take it. I can take criticism. I can take coaching. You know, I want to be as good as I can be. And so, you know, what more can you ask for as a coach? Hey, speaking of coaching, and I know with that hand injury, he was down. You mentioned TJ McConnell. He he joined me, I think, on Thursday. And um, he, he really – he seemingly was digging being on the sideline coaching guys up. I know he wanted to be out there because he's just got that energy that is you, you just can't find anywhere else. I mean, if, if he's not out there, you don't get that energy level, which is incredible. I think you mentioned the other day he's an energy machine, and he absolutely is. But he did I, – I think he did enjoy, like, coaching up and helping out on the bench as he did when he was injured last year. Yeah, I have no doubt that he will be a coach someday. Um, and I, he'll be a damn good one. You know, I think his dad is a coach. Um, he has that kind of mentality for the game. As much as he liked coaching guys up from the sideline, he, he'd rather be out there, you know, running circles around people and causing mayhem because that, that's what he does, and that's what he's been doing the entire training camp. His hand looks great. Um, he's worked really hard on his three-point shooting, so um, I think you'll see. Uh, I think everyone will see see a, a, a difference there in in how he's shooting it and how effectively he will shoot it. But the one thing that is a non-negotiable with him is competing. He will he he will never go into a game and not compete to his absolute fullest. No doubt about that. Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. All right, we mostly do um, 80s, 70s, and sometimes 90s every Saturday night. If you were to call in and request a song, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. 80s, 70s, and 90s. Yeah. Uh, well, three decades. Roundabout, ra- roundabout by Yes. Oh, man, are you kidding me? That's money. That's wheelhouse yeah, right that's, there. That's money. That's there's a 70s song, 80s song would probably be, uh, you know, if you're going to go all-time classics, the way it is by Bruce Hornsby was the yeah. was the most frequently played song in the world in 1987. You're absolutely right about that. Yes, it and, was. And that was the brainchild or the motivation for Tupac Shakur's yep. um, changes, yep. and uh, which has become a – you know, a, an iconic classic. You know, in um, in the in the rap world, and then uh, '90s. I don't know. I'm not as much of a '90s child. I you know, yeah. I, I struggle struggle a little to come up with '90s songs. But uh, yeah, that would be my '70s and '80s. Well, I'm gonna tell you what. You gave us enough. You could go ahead and host during the off season one of these things without question, right here. Yeah, that was impressive RC out takeover. of you. Yeah, the RC takeover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's outstanding. By the way, I saw the Foo Fighters, and they did a cover of Roundabout. This is probably five or six years ago. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, yes, is still the best at it, but man, Grohl, Grohl and the gang put on something with that cover. It was pretty awesome. I, saw, I, I arrived at the Summer League back in, I think it was 2013. We were staying at the Palms, and I saw that Yes was playing in the Palms has this small arena of 500 people. So I bought a ticket and went in there. There was like, there's 200 people watching Yes. And it was unbelievable. They played, uh, they played close to the edge, start to finish. They played the Yes album, start to finish. And then they played a few others. And it was like, I mean, these guys were killing it, man. It was unbelievable. I'm, I'm so. a child of the 80s. So I, an owner of a lonely heart was a huge hit for them. But um, I love Leave It. Leave It is just such a unique Yes song. Uh, when I get a chance, I, I play that, certainly, as a child of the yeah, 80s. Yeah, I got I to check that one out because I'm sure I've heard it, but it doesn't. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, um, it, it is want to sing a little bit of it for me? <laughs> um, I probably could, yeah. Um, it, let's see. Hold on a second. I don't know if I can find this right now for you. Better than me singing, we could have, uh, if you got one, I know you got to get rolling here, so I'm going to see if I can find it. I'm good. i got time. Yeah. Okay. Um, Kyle, uh, go ahead, if you would, right now, and turn me up. Ah, yes. I got it. I see it starts out with them singing right here. That makes sense to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 90125 is the album. I got it. Got it. All right. Rick Carlisle is going to host a JMV takeover at some time of the offseason. But a lot of work to do beginning tomorrow night, everybody. You can check out Pacers on the Road preseason game number one in Charlotte and uh, get down to what has been a completely renovated and, from what I hear, awesome Gamebridge Fieldhouse this season to watch this young team evolve. Should be fun. Rick, I appreciate it more than you know. Thank you very much, and we'll do it again soon. Just call me when you need me. Okay. Cheers, my friend. Be well. Right back. That's uh, Rick Carlisle on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. You think I, when I went to play that, that was better than me trying to sing that? <laughs> so I'm to go. I, I normally don't hesitate, and I'll go into it, and I go, all right, I don't think I can do this justice here. So let me get this straight here. The JMV takeover Saturday night. They're in Nashville, Larry Bird's place, having a steak dinner, and they're listening to B105.7. I think after he laid that bomb on you, I, I'm surprised you could even continue the interview, even think of another question. I think Larry Bird listened to some JMV takeover. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> You should have called in. Bloody man. You would have thought it was a prank call. Can you imagine? Or maybe he was on hold and you just couldn't get to him fast enough. And see, that's part of the problem. That's part of my problem. I miss a ton. I know you guys get frustrated sometimes, too. It takes me a while to turn that stuff around because I'm bad at it. I'm bad at I'm bad at the technical aspect of it. Yeah. Did he really just go into, you hear all he went into, into Tupac? I knew he'd go into Bruce Hornsby in the range because I brought this up before. Um, Mark Boyle used to host the coach's show the first time he was here. And at some point in the show, 
on one of the shows, he and I actually was listening at the time to it. Um, Rick Carlisle is good friend is Bruce Hornsby, and he brought in Bruce Hornsby, and they Bruce Hornsby did songs during the coaches show. Can't remember how many years ago that was, but well, I think it, it was maybe. Couple of off seasons ago, he he was still the coach of the Mavs at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, someone from the team was getting married, and Carlisle was at the wedding, and I think he just kind of went up there during the reception and started playing piano and singing songs unprompted. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty impressive. It was uh, Rick Carlisle podcast one hundred seven five the fan dot com, and uh, shout out. I know Sean Copeland will love to hear that um, bird and Rick Carlisle. Listen to the Jamby Takeover on his station on Saturday. You'll like that a lot. Quick break, and we'll come back. Your phone calls and more to close out this show. That's next. The Ride with JMV. Hey, you going to stare all day, or are you going to buy something? Uh, I'm going to stare all day. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Greg Rakes are a little bit earlier. I've been Brown of PFF, the data scientist, also joined the show, and Rick Carlisle, head coach of the Pacers. Podcast 107.5thefan.com, and you can go back if you want to and here we live, check out what was being talked about. Uh, over the course of these interviews via YouTube Live inside the lounge, I, I should mention the sad news today where country star Loretta Lynn passed away at the age of 90 on her, or at her, I should say, ranch in Hurricane Mills, Tennessee. You talk about spanning decades of greatness right there. I know for a lot of you, especially if you're Kyle Udemark's age, you don't know a great deal. And I know a lot of us, especially my age, were kind of taught exactly what went down with the evolution of her career from being a coal miner's daughter in, in eastern Kentucky to being uh, the queen of country music. All came from the, what, 1980-81 film, Sissy Spacek starred, and Tommy Lee Jones was in it, too, and Coal Miner's Daughter. I will watch, when it's on, I will watch it because it is interesting to see that entire story. But Loretta Lynn passed away earlier today at the age of 90. And... um one of the greatest of all time, without a doubt. Loretta Lynn passes away at the age of 90. J-Law writes this. How about these two guys listening to the JMV Takeover on Saturday nights? The word is spreading about the greatest six hours on radio. I, I get to balance the, the three hours every day here and then this. Yes, you're right. It is very fun. Don't get me wrong. It is very fun. And if it was not enjoyable, um, I wouldn't roll in there on Saturday night and do that thing live. But it's it's equally enjoyable for me as hopefully it is enjoyable for you. So you're right, J-Law. That is incredibly cool to hear. Steve writes this, hey, JMV, I'm not defending Ballard, but what moves were to be had at quarterback the past three years? They didn't have draft capital to make a move in round one. And Steve, they probably, and I, this is not the best example in the world, 
Not anymore, at least not the way that he's playing right now. But you remember a couple of years ago, there was definite interest in Justin Fields. Justin Fields ended up falling low enough where you could probably reel him in with what they had. And then you go all the way back to number 13, right, the year they traded that for DeForest Buckner. I mean, there, there were some things they, they could have done some things. I'm not suggesting it was going to be any better, but he could have done some things. But they were just trying to make up for, obviously, what had happened years prior with the then number 12. But you did have some options out there. And to this point, you know, the Phillip Rivers option has been the best one for them so far. And no question about it. And remember what we thought about Phillip Rivers at the end of the year when they lost in, in Buffalo. And really, a lot of that was self-inflicted type of stuff. It's really a lot of the kind of stuff we see right now. You know, Kamoka Ture had the penalty. Miss field goal, you know, a bad, bad call by Frank Reich. Just a lot of the stuff we're talking about right now were issues then, too. I just remember coming off of that game against Buffalo thinking, wow, the problem that you have with your Colts right now is you can't get it down the field. Now, Phillip Rivers was accurate. Phillip Rivers got rid of the ball and probably, probably made this offensive line look and become – touted at the level that was was fool's gold remember it was a struggle in protection early but then river started giving getting that quick rhythm and getting rid of the ball and we probably got that false sense of offensive line protection not so much because of the talent of that offensive line that developing offensive line that we know it right now that has certainly been paid since then but probably more so because of his quick release and getting rid of the ball snap gone more than it was their level of capable protection when you think about that a couple of years ago that's probably accurate but i remember talking about how they can't get it down the field can't get it down the field and you know the defenses can easily they don't even have to play deep down the field you know, you, you can cut off the field, you know, playing against, you know, Rivers and the Colts wide receivers then. And they can't get it down the field with a crap now. Whether you want to talk about the offensive line, the lack of protection, or it being on the quarterback, or it being on the lack of separation that the wide receivers give them, that is just a deadly combination in trying to get the ball down the field, which they cannot And we've talked about that as an issue over the years. But certainly it was it was much better to talk about when you still make the postseason than being where they are right now. Aaron's at two three nine ten seven. Hello, Aaron. What's up, John? How you doing? Man, I'm having better, but hey, it can't be worse than the Colts. No, I think yeah, you're probably you're probably feeling a little bit better than they are as a squad right now. I'm sure. You know, I was telling uh, Jake the other day if I was to write a dear John letter mm-hmm. to the uh, Colts, it would be 
Hey, Frank, we need to talk. We've had good times and bad times the last five years. But right now, I feel like I'm not connecting with you. Don't worry. It's not you. It's me. We need to separate. You and your preaching, and it's contagious, and it's infectious, and it's rubbing off on your players, and they tiptoeing around you, you know, and they don't feel comfortable. Most of these guys didn't grow up in your way of living or thinking. They feel like they can't even curse around you because that might be held against them. And now I'm hearing the, the tight end, the rookie, might have been held off the field because he was texting during the church service. There's no place. Hey, I'm a man of faith. But there's no place for it on the football field. And you're holding them back. Even when you won against Kansas City, one of your assistants went to grab and hug. You act like you were chugging them off because you didn't want to be bothered. Man, they pick up on well, that. Man. Well, I, I can I can tell you this, and Aaron, thank you for the call, that if you were going to gauge just by watching, if you were going to gauge, because you know, nobody knows because you're not in the locker room. That's fair. But if you're going to gauge just by watching a team that looks like it no longer really listens to its coach, much less the owner, you could gauge that by that first half of play. Knowing what they knew going in, knowing how big this game was for the owner, knowing what the owner had said just a couple of days prior, then going back to the offseason, knowing all of that, and that is the absolute listless effort slash performance that you got in that first half. I know it's hard, and I know it's easy for us to play that role in sports talk radio. For me to say it or Aaron to call in and say, hey, uh, his voice, he being Frank Reich, is no longer being heard in that locker room. It's a stretch because we're not in that locker room. But if you want to see that play out, and have a little legitimate argument as to why that's true compared to how it's not, that first half, that first half on Sunday is a hell of a reason to look at as evidence. And no question. Uh, Jay's up next before the break at 239-1070. Hello, Jay. Hey, how's it going? I enjoyed your JMV takeover Saturday well, night. Well, you uh, you rolled Jay. You wanted to hear it was a '70s song, right? What'd Blind you want to hear? Stone Cowboy. Oh yeah, we played some Glenn Campbell for you, Jay. Yeah, here's my reasoning. Being I'm a Ball State alum, mm-hmm. I'm kind of biased. But did Frank Reich ever say why Will Freeze for the seventh round draft pick from Penn State started over Danny Pinter? They wanted to make a change because they didn't feel that Pinter was playing. And, and really, how we view it, Jay, is it was just kind of like uh, you make the change with Blankenship um, and bring in McLaughlin. That wasn't working. I mean, it's all these kind of cosmetic things. Pinter wasn't playing well. And frankly, you know, Will Fry's playing in there on Sunday didn't play well either. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. And I enjoyed your interview with Rick Carlisle. That was very informational. I appreciate that, Jay. Thank you very much. Okay, take care, Jay. Talk to you again on Saturday. Maybe see you later on this week. I did want to get to something because I'd ask about this yesterday because I think it was was Jerry Watkins, who's a good listener to the show and communicates all the time, had asked about this. 
And actually, Kyle went back to listen and didn't really hear anything about it. Jared G. writes this. This is something that Aaron had said a moment ago. He referenced Jelani Woods, the rookie tied in, um, not getting you know, the normal amount of snaps or more snaps because he was, and this is what was rumored, he was texting in their chapel before the game. And that was supposedly heard on the Pat McAfee show. Now, Jared G. writes this. We didn't do any investigation on it yesterday, but Jared G. says that of what Aaron was talking about regarding the rookie tight end being in trouble because of church is fake. It was a joke made on the Pat McAfee show. That's what he said. It was a joke made on the Pat McAfee show that apparently others took for I didn't hear it, and I haven't heard it, so I don't really know how to judge it. But that's what was brought up yesterday. And then Aaron just brought that up again. And it makes sense why Woods, I think he only played 15 snaps, had one target, even though he had two touchdowns the week before. I mean, who, who are you going to pull off the field? Mo Cox was having a great game. Kylan Granson was having a great game. So it seemed like Woods is probably the odd man out. Yeah, I thought Granson looked really good. All right, quick break, and we'll come back for a final time. Greg Rakestraw, Ben Brown, Rick Carlisle, Podcast 107.5thefan.com. Twin Peaks for us coming up tomorrow. Would love to see you up. I know we'll give away free stuff. You can join us there. And then Thursday and Fridays, those are set coming up later on this week and reasons why you need to be in Westfield and up around 71st and Benford on the northeast side come Friday. I'll explain, close out the show with you coming up next. The Ride with JMV. I don't understand the words you just said. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Uh, Trackside's coming up at 8 o'clock tonight. Tomorrow's show's going to be at Twin Peaks up in Castleton. I'd love to see you guys out there. Why don't you join us? Mention Thursday, too, Joe's Grill in Westfield. Joe's Grill in Westfield. We're going to have the normal show, our Larcity Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots for week five. Me, Brent Halverson, I'm sure Ryan Nally and Ryan Miller will be a part of it. That's Joe's Grill in Westfield. Then at 5.30, both former Colts wide receiver Bill Brooks and Greg Rakestraw joins, and we have the Colts pregame huddle. Coming at you, beginning at 5.30 to get you set for that Thursday nighter between the Colts and the Broncos. No word on Jonathan Taylor. He wants to play walkthrough-wise. He was wearing a boot during today. We'll see how that goes. Chase McLaughlin brought up to the 53-man active for good. Desmond Patman cut loose. We'll see if he clears waivers. If he does, I'm sure he'll be back. We'll see if anybody picks him up. And, and once again, too, both Taquan Lewis and Shaquille Leonard will miss, already ruled out. And uh, Shaquille Leonard, by the way, to go along with a concussion, also had a broken nose in that friendly fire situation between Zaire Franklin and his grill in that Tennessee game on Sunday. But plenty more to talk about tomorrow. Twin Peaks and Castleton, I'll. Hopefully see everybody up there. JMV at radio-1.com is the email address. JMV, why do you think Ballard is untouchable? He's the architect of this debacle. I didn't say he was untouchable. I just said he wasn't going anywhere this year. It's not like everybody's thrilled with it. He's just not going to go anywhere this year. Uh, Frank Reich, on the other hand, 
greater issues. But just because you make it for one more to see what you can do doesn't make doesn't mean you're you're untouchable. That's just how that is viewed right now. So certainly nobody's saying untouchable. Again, a quick shout out to Matthew in Maine too, who listened to the show inside the lounge via YouTube Live, who sent lobster Maine lobster to us today. Well done, buddy. Thank you. Shout out to Matthew for that. If there is anybody that needed some lobster, it was us. Hey, JMV, with this being the third year in a row, the Colts have elected to grab another team's cast-off trash rather than try to draft a new potential franchise quarterback. I'm beyond worn out of that. Ballard's arrogance and thinking the rest of the roster is good enough to win with old and or broken quarterbacks is going to end up setting this franchise back even more than Lux retirement did. That's Casey and Ellisville. I thought even in bringing in Matt Ryan, they were going to draft a quarterback this year regardless. And we'll see how that looks, Casey, but I don't think you're altogether off base. And not just that philosophy, but just the, the I mentioned this yesterday, the foundational build of this team and where the money is and where the deficiencies have been so far. That is going to play a longer-term role, longer than just talking about a game, for example, on a Thursday night in Denver in October. Thank you, Casey. Thank you guys for listening. My thanks to Greg Gregstraw, Ben Brown of PFF, and Pacers coach Rick Carlisle. Preseason opens up in Charlotte for them tomorrow. And Rick Carlisle and Larry Bird listen to the JMV Takeover on Saturday night. We're all thrilled about that. Kyle, great job from you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you inside the lounge via YouTube Live as well. Bruce Kidd for the great time at Hinkle Fieldhouse. 47 of 50 free throws. That is me. Tomorrow, Twin Peaks. Hope to see you there at 3. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Have a great night.